if you don't go into pastoring, can you still be a minister? That's one of the questions our guest today wrestle with in his educational journey. And God led him to find ministry in the field of STEM and to help others to move into that area. If you are wrestling right now, trying to figure out what is my thing, this episode is for you. And then if you found your thing and you want to know how to do more of it and make a greater impact, this is for you. Let's go. Welcome to the Monetize Your Ministry podcast. And you get a chance to interact with them. To me, that's full-time ministry. And did I have it? Because tattoo that Jesus is like it brings in itself and then opens. I want to provide content and things that help change lives. And I simultaneously want to, to receive a blessing from that. Now here's your host, Kamon Hunt. All right, welcome back. Monetize Your Ministry podcast. If you're new to the party, you know what to do. Subscribe to the podcast. You're watching this on YouTube. Subscribe on YouTube. And if you're listening on a podcasting platform, please go ahead and make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave us a rating and a review. Listen, on this podcast, we seek to do a few things. One of those things is to help you figure out what is your unique ministry? What's the thing that God has designed you and wired you to do best to serve others? And no, that may not always be within the confines of a church or a religious institution. Many times, and in fact, most times, it is outside in the world. And so that's why I'm excited to have today's guest. He's a young man, a gentleman that I've met years ago, right, in different a different part of my journey. Um, and just always admired his drive and his willingness to serve. And I just want to introduce to some and present to others, Dr. Dr. <laughs> Nehemiah Mayberry. Nehemiah, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Listen, man, this is a, a privilege, an honor. Come on. Thank you for having me on here. Listen, anytime you call me, I know not only will it be an opportunity to minister and to like speak life, but it's something creative as well. So I want to let you know that you've always inspired me and I've seen a lot of things you've done throughout your journey. And so I'm just blessed to be here on, on the podcast. Man, I'm excited, man. This is, I'm just telling you, this is going to be good. So those of you who you're watching this, go ahead and tag someone. Uh, send them the message. Tell them they need to check this out live. Yeah. Or if you're watching this on the replay, just go ahead and uh, share this with someone because this is going to inspire someone because yeah. Nehemiah's story is one that I'm sure you can relate to in some way, in some shape, and it will help you in your own journey. So give me a, let me give a little bit of introduction because Nehemiah, I need folks to understand who is on the podcast today. <laughs> this uh, gentleman is a distinguished engineer educator and entrepreneur based in Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, with a rich technical background spanning over 15 years. Here it is as a NASA researcher, bridge design engineer, and adjunct professor, adjunct professor, Dr. Mayberry brings a wealth of expertise to any stage that he's on. And he is the CEO and founder of STEM Media, a renowned <laughs> educational tech and digital media company. And that media company has gained awards and recognition all across the United States and beyond. So, Nehemiah, man, this is this is a lot that you've done. And uh, folks may not know how young you are, but you've done a lot in, in your time. So for people who know you and people who may not know you, yeah, I gave that introduction. But what's something about you, Nehemiah Mayberry, that people would be surprised to learn? 
Man, you know, we get that question when we are little uh, that we've all heard and we all may have asked, and that is, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know what I mean? And that's mm -hmm. where, as a young child, it's like anything, anything is possible, right? At least that's how it should be when you're a young child. And I remember one time, not even one time, but a good span of my childhood, I used to want to be an ice cream truck driver. Jamal. Okay. Like I want, like I don't know if they still do that today, but you know the, the truck driver around the neighborhood. You hear the music playing. Like for whatever reason, when I was a kid, I nothing really. A few things matched the joy when I heard man. Let me tell you, running in the house trying to get some money so I can buy me a little push pop or whatever case may be. And I thought for a good span of my childhood that that would have been that that was the best career a person could have. And so I was just thinking about how it would be possible to not only like give treats and be that person that bring joy, but to connect with kids in the neighborhood and kind of be everybody's favorite person. And so since this is talking about monetizing your ministry, I did not go that route. However, I assure you that was something I definitely wanted to do at one point as I grew up and got asked that infamous question of what do I want to be for sure. Well, listen, let's say it this way. You haven't done that yet, right? Like, yeah. Hey, listen, it's still time, awesome. right? You know, now, now and they, um, I'll just tell you, those ice cream trucks are still around. I'm surprised okay. you haven't heard them, which you you have three young young ones, three young daughters. Yeah. I'm surprised yeah. you haven't heard them. I'm surprised they haven't I, heard it. I mean, I mean, they were hear would. those better than adults. <laughs> yes. Yes. They were hear it yeah. better than I would for sure. But I guess the time is coming, right? Maybe I'll be driving it by the time I hear it. Absolutely. Now, it's interesting. So, Nehemiah, you went to a university called Oakwood University. Uh, yep. My three uh, children are there now. And in reading your bio, you said you felt a call to ministry at a certain point. Um, pastoring yeah. in that season, you felt like maybe God's directing you in a different area. So, let's kind of take people back um, yeah. in your educational journey. When you first entered to college, uh, what major did you choose? And kind of talk to us about just your college development because i think what i want you to understand if you're watching or listening to this there are there's a, a way we're shaped to figure out what our ministry is and i want to just kind of understand your journey and how you figured some of this out yeah yeah so you know one of the things that i had as a natural i don't know if it was natural i don't know how you would define it but i saw early on was just my ability to stand in front of people and speak publicly Right. That was a visible gift that I had. One that my mom always encouraged people in my community, always, you know, put me up front during youth programs. But in addition to that, something that was less visible, come on, was my ability to understand math and science pretty good. Like I, I would I would really like challenge myself to do tests in high school and use almost little to no like scrap paper sometimes when they would let you do it for whatever. You, you the, those. I, I, I could, kindred spirit. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, that was me, man. So I, um, as I learned about that, as well as some of my creative interests, I went into school studying to, to be an engineer. Like that was my okay. original game plan. Now at Oakwood University, as you mentioned, it doesn't have a in-house engineering program. So yeah. what you do is you enroll in what they call a dual degree program with the University of Alabama in Huntsville. And so I went in intending to get an applied mathematics degree from Oakwood but then also transfer to UAH, which we call it, to get a, a civil engineering degree. Um, so that was my major. But again, because everybody saw that I could speak, being in this faith community that Oakwood is a part of, the automatic thing that people point you towards is, oh, you're going to be a preacher. You know yep. what I mean? Or you're going to be a pastor, rather. You're going to go in. You're going to lead a church. That's going to be your vocational ministry. I see it on you now. 
And the fact of the matter is they just weren't standing over my shoulder when I was doing my math test or they weren't seeing me kind of study science or read up on all the facts, right, in my almanac. Like, they didn't really see that part. They just saw the visible part. And so that being said, I did kind of get swayed to try to be a, a, a theology minor, too. I'm going to put that on there. I was like, I'm going to take some theology classes along with my applied mathematic coursework in eventual engineering. So I knew I was going to do engineering, but I also tried to augment it because I heard it so much. Listen, let me get a little bit of theology uh, classes here on the side as well. So that's, that's what I went to school in. in, in did you get the minor? I didn't complete the minor, but I took classes that I wouldn't have normally taken without. I was going to say, man, if you do it, applied ma mathematics, you do engineering. I don't know if you got a whole lot of time to, to finish exactly that whole. What, yeah. That's exactly what happened because it ended up taking me five years to get applied math and engineering just to get those two dual degrees. And so I really didn't want to stay in school longer than five years. And so I just kind of like stopped taking the religion classes, even though I did take more than I would have normally had to take um, had I not at least attempted the minor. Yeah, but this is a this is a yeah. good conversation. By the way, as a I was a math major in high school, like the school I went to was kind of specializing in math. Then okay. I did a field called actuarial science, and one of the things I learned um, is that once you get higher with math, you're less yeah. numbers and a lot more symbols, right? So, yeah, that's true. So that thing <laughs> is, it's not as oh, I just count. It's not just counting. It's like a whole lot of symbols. It's a whole lot, man. Greek Greek letters when you start getting yes, more into absolutely. engineering too. Greek letters, uppercase, lowercase, Greek letters, the whole nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A whole lot of a whole lot of formula symbols, all that stuff. So, yeah. let's talk about this then. As uh, as someone going through with, it almost for from a lot of people we don't see those things together, right? Yeah, you, you're very well with speaking, standing in mm -hmm. front of people, and you have a a, a good grasp of um, engineering and math and the sciences. Uh, was there any like? Like, would you, did you feel any tension with both of those skills that you had? I did. I felt a lot of tension early on. And I and in hindsight, it's kind of like, why did I feel tension? But to be honest with you, going through it in real time, it was like, how in the world, where does like the ability to like, you know, problem size physics, my favorite class in high school, right? How does that fit with, you know, religion and theology and and bible studies and things like that i really didn't see it and so honestly because of the tension people certain people who saw one side of my gifts saying i'm gonna do this and then me also having like a heart for this side right the stem feels i because of that tension i actually started intentionally trying to find overlaps right mm -hmm. like where do they connect i remember having a, a pastor who was sort of a mentor at the time pastor clem holder who was also very encouraging in ministry gave me a book on like you know the science of god and like the physics in the bible and i like those are the types of things i started gra gravitating to towards because in my mind i was like maybe maybe there's some overlap in which there definitely is but i thought it was more of an explicit like teaching type of overlap that mm -hmm. i need to find right i need to find maybe a subset of sermons that maybe i just be the guy yeah, that always yeah. preaches this type of sermon right like I, I didn't really know what how it would make sense but the fact of the matter to answer your question yeah it just didn't seem naturally compatible early on yeah you know i think people and I, I mean there's everyone is meaning well we want to figure out this person seems like they have a passion to serve god yeah they love him they have a passion for people and for many of us that's the the field that we think in is preaching it's inside of the church it's yeah. things that uh, you know directly affect 
the week to week running of a religious congregation and institution. But right. now, as we all see, as we're seeing with your story, there's so many more possibilities. And I want us to explore those a little bit with, with your story. So you graduate college and kind of talk to us about what's next in your journey um, yeah. with career. And then we'll talk about how does how do you start tying that back to how you start seeing ministry in light of that. But talk about for your sure. career for now. Well, well, honestly, I got to go back a little bit. Come on, like, because it was really like my sophomore year in college where I started to feel like, Okay, God is calling me to the ministry because I, you know, I'm, I thought ministry was synonymous with being a pastor, as you just said. But I started to feel this tug. I, I, I remember at a at a student revival, getting baptized, whole nine, right, and feeling called. And so, really, what began sort of my second year in college was like this mental, like exploratory kind of period in my field where I was sure God called me to ministry, mm -hmm. but at the same time, whenever I was like, all right, God, I'm about to go change my major to fully you know, theology, religion, theology he was like, no, don't do that. Like, that's kind of the word that would come back to me. I'm like, all right, God, I thought you, you called me to the ministry. Like, isn't that what you just, you just said yeah. to me? He was like, I did. I'm like, all right, cool. Let me go change my major tomorrow. And he's like, no, I didn't tell you to change your major, but God, I thought you called me to ministry. And he's like, I did. And so it was early, like, I want to say early, but midway through my college experience that I began to realize God did call me to ministry which is just in another mission field. Mm -hmm. And so that was sort of the, the catapult for me to start saying, all right, what other ways does God want me to be a minister in this field of engineering, right? And STEM as an acronym wasn't really used much. And I remember I, I Googled, I went on Google one time and it said engineering ministries. I just looked up engineering ministries. And sure enough, I found this organization based in Colorado. Uh, I know we did some collaboration in Colorado, but I went out to Colorado the year after I graduated college. So coming back to where you just asked, my first summer after college, I did an internship for an organization called Engineering Ministries International. And the way that this one was set up was that engineers from various parts of the country got together and they went overseas. And you know, I, a lot of mission trips, you know, you're building houses and things like that. Well, this one was unique, come on, because we weren't necessarily building things physically. We were doing engineering. Like we literally wow. went and consulted with schools that needed to renovate their school and because they had more capacity. And then we start doing like the electrical design, the structural design, the architect, like the legit same engineering work that you do as an engineer here. But the intention was to help these. And they were faith based organizations that we were serving and basically offering our engineering um, skill set to. Right. And so that was the first summer. I loved it, man. It was so great. It was the first time I saw, OK, man, I actually am doing engineering as a minister. But even then, I had more that I feel like God was showing me, right? Like, he was yeah. like, all right, there are more. I, I actually volunteered to go back with them two or three years later, all while I'm still, like, getting my master's in civil engineering at the University of Alabama Huntsville. After I got my master's, the Lord opened up a way for me to um, get a PhD partially paid for it. Wow. So that's how I got all the way to, to North Carolina. So this whole time, right, I'm, like, going further, further down, like a PhD is deep, it's narrow, right? I'm going deeper and deeper and deeper into, into the field of engineering, learning and studying stuff that honestly a person, if they're not meant to do it, they probably shouldn't go that far into the field, right? But at the same time, my, my passion and my conviction just got clearer and clearer that God wanted to use me as a minister somehow in this field of engineering, in the STEM, right? This world of STEM. And so that was really like how it was until I got to North Carolina my first year 
at North Carolina State University. And by the time I had gotten here, I just came out of this Oakwood environment. And for those who are familiar with, you know what I'm talking about. For those who are not, Oakwood is a place where even outside of the academics, a lot of your gifts are cultivated. Um, I was a yeah. part of a drama ministry. I remember like, that. My entire time at Oakwood, right? And we just would get on stage and go to uh, churches and after school programs and a lot of organizations and put on like plays and skits that always had inspirational messages. So I had that improv in me, right? Oakwood is a very musical school. I sang in musical groups. I, I played the bass guitar, I still play the bass guitar. Um, you know, I had the ability to make like soundtracks. And so the opportunity came here at North Carolina State University, my first year where, um, and this is how the story goes. It really started my company, come on. A, uh, a campaign was launched by President Obama and he had a council on jobs and competitiveness and it was called Engineering Stay With It. And the whole point of that campaign by the president was to encourage students to stay with engineering, why engineering is so important. And they wanted to put together this big inspirational kind of motivational experience for all the engineering students across the country. And what they did came on, they said, we're going to challenge someone to make a creative video who was in engineering about why you chose engineering, you know, what you're doing to stay with it. We want to inspire. And the most inspiring video is going to win the national grand prize. This is my first year. I said, Oh man, this is like the perfect combination of like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm like, I'm about to come up with a skit. I'm about to get some music in the background. I'm, I know engineering, so they about to see some real engineering formulas and all that in it. And what I made in my mind was the Super Bowl commercial, the Nike commercial, the Gatorade commercial for engineering. Come on, it's on, it's on YouTube to this day. Okay, yeah, um, okay, yeah, I gotta share that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. And uh, long story short, I won the National Grand wow. Prize for that, and that was uh, awarded a, a laptop a state-of-the-art laptop at the time by Intel because they were one of the sponsors. It was featured on MTV, right? Engineering video was on MTV. Um, and then that just really opened up the doors. I got like bookstore credit and stuff like that. And that was really the first, I think, manifestation of how I saw God wanted to use me as an engineer to not only do things on the technical side, but on the creative side that I developed, as well as inspirationally empowering people. And so that yeah. was it, man. And from, Ooh, no, from no, there, it started from there. We got to unpack this now. Yeah. Um, do you, so you could you could have said, man, I've been on MTV. That would have been like <laughs> what people don't know, man. I've been on MTV, right? Like that's yeah. cool enough. Um, I just want to define some stuff for people who may not know, and then I want to this part of the story. We got to unpack mm -hmm. this. Okay, yeah. so I don't want to assume everyone knows what STEM means. So just yeah. share with us what STEM means. For sure. So STEM is an acronym. S-T-E-M. It stands for science, technology, engineering and math. And, you know, earlier on in my career, that acronym wasn't as you know everywhere ubiquitous as it is now. Um, but it wasn't until later on in my career that I realized they had this acronym out that began to use more and more in academic uh, circles that really encapsulated all that I was interested in as it relates to technical things. Right. Yeah. The science, the math, the engineering, yeah. like all that. I'm like, OK. This is the mission field, if you will, mm. that God has called me to. I love it. And now, now you know, engineering is broad. You you yeah. mentioned it, but talk a little bit. And I, the reason I'm saying this is, especially for the people who watch this podcast, you may have a child. They may they may be someone who's interested. Talk a little bit about what 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 field of engineering you particularly are in, 
Yeah. And what it does, just in a, give us a short form of what that, that field of engineering is. Yeah. Yeah. So I am a structural engineer and structural engineering is sort of a subset or related to civil engineering it has to do with the infrastructure that we all kind of live and use on a daily basis. So your roads, your bridges, bridges. your buildings, right? Your tunnels, your towers, things that need to stand up, carry weight and continue to function without falling down. That's what we're all, we're all about in my particular field of engineering. Um, engineering as a whole, though, is it's is we're, we're problem solvers. We use math and science to solve these particular problems. I'm not going to lie to you, man. Look, my hat's off to you guys. And I appreciate <laughs> what you guys do, because when you're driving over something, you like yeah. man, is this thing <laughs> going to hold. Right. Like you see yeah, all these yeah, yeah. big trucks. But it's because of the work that you guys, uh, people in your field are doing now. Right. It's so interesting. Right. I think. And this is a recurring theme. So if you watch this podcast, you've heard this before. Um, the fact that there are experiences we have in life and we think, oh, what is, what is that for? Like, no, there's no big deal in this. Or mm -hmm. why did I do this? And your story of that video, right? That video competition yeah. kind of just illustrates that there's no wasted experiences, right? There are no wasted um, uh, things that we've been exposed to and um, opportunities we take even for ministry that right. they help to shape us. And there's one, there's, there comes a time where you go, a aha moment of oh, yeah. that's what that was for, right? Yes, absolutely, man. Absolutely. I mean, I remember getting a call from MTV before they like voted the winner, like narrowed it down to like 10 finalists. And the guy on the other line was like, hey, we just want to make sure, you know, you're an actual engineering student that did this because Every single other video we got was just somebody in a talking head standing in front of a, a camera and talking like every single one. It was like yours is the only video that had a storyline. You put yeah. music in the background. Did you make is that music? Do you have rights to that music? And I'm like, yeah, it actually was a track from like when my friends and I back in high school used to make rap songs like we make tracks. But so it was one of those in the background. Yes. From high school, man. Shout out to Game Face. That was the name of our crew. Right. So that again, being able to kind of come up with a storyline from my days and M Kanania, that was the name of the drama group back at Oakwood. Right. And um, yeah, so like they were really trying to vet, even make sure that as an engineering student, I wasn't like or as a submitter, I wasn't like somebody from communications or something that somehow <laughs> trying to act like I was an engineering student. A music major or something. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was it was pretty cool, though. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you said that kind of almost gave you the inspiration to say, OK, let me look at and, and STEM media. Right. To, to, that, yeah. That's where the, the birth of that. kind of talk about, like, you know, why you decided to go further with it rather than just, OK, I did this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think this is good because we can get to the to the monetization part of everything. Right. Yeah, yeah Because yeah. this is when I started to realize, OK, God gave me something special. Right. Like I have. A combination and that's that's part of the message i like to share with other people like there's a unique combinations of gifts and talents and values that we all have right that is something the world is waiting for that we're supposed to provide and so that's where i first was able to see okay i was able to to blend ministry and engineering and stem in the past but this is this is the one this is what mine is supposed to look like right my ministry is supposed to look like and so people started asking like hey can you help us do something like this for our after school program can you help us do this for my classroom and i started like getting a lot of requests um how much you charge right uh i don't know as a matter of fact i remember meeting the dean of the university this is a a major school tier one university in north carolina the dean shout out to dean louis he's telling people yo he has a business go check out his business he just won a grand prize and i didn't have a business 
for real at that time, you know? So I was like, man, I guess I got to get a business. The dean is telling everybody, yeah. I got a business. Let me figure this out. So I'm, I incorporate secretary of state, nice. you know what I'm saying? Get all, all that together, all the paperwork together, uh, an accountant, all that kind of stuff, bank accounts. And people are like, how much you charge? I'm like, uh, $300, right? <laughs> just, just whatever, right? I don't really yeah. know what I charge. But people are asking me to do this same type of like presentations and, and productions for their their uh, organizations. But I was still an engineer full time. And so after I graduated my PhD, I worked full time. My nine to five at the time was um, a bridge design engineer here in North Carolina. While, you know, nights, weekends and whole nine, I was still sort of taking on projects um, because at the time I was, you know, we were making money, but it wasn't enough to support a family. Right. It wasn't enough to be sustainable. But I was still I was a business. Right. The mm -hmm, business mm -hmm. existed. There were tax returns. There was revenue coming in. Um, right. sort of simultaneously. It was more of a side hustle at the time, though. Wow. So here it is. <laughs> Somebody almost prophesied your business, man. This guy man. got a business, right? And people started asking, what do you charge? Talk about in the beginning, um, did you have any hangups even charging for it? Because it sounded like you really enjoyed doing this. Did you have any yeah. internal hangups of giving numbers and charging? Ooh. How did you overcome it? And, you know, like, how are you, your mindset, even on pricing now? All right. I'm so glad you asked that question because, you know, this is a core thing just on your platform, monetize your ministry. Yeah. We struggle. We struggle with asking for money. That's right. And Lord knows I struggle and still struggle to a certain extent when it comes to the amounts that I ask for. Right. Even today at times. But the fact of the matter is I had to realize that first of all, first the first thing I realized that if I don't charge them something, then they're immediately going to see the value of what I have to provide lower than what it is. Mm -hmm. Like if I just said and my, our first paid video was for this after school program um, downtown Raleigh. I remember I was asked how, how much I charge. I think I said three hundred dollars or something like that, which is incredibly low for what I was trying yeah, to provide yeah, for, yeah. for a video. If I would have just said I'll do it for free. Because they are an organization that was really trying to get, you know, their image right and trying to do good, they would have already discounted what I could provide. Okay, right. well, maybe what you're gonna give us is gonna be all the good. They probably would have let me do it, come on, but like they probably in the back of their mind be like, hey, if this don't work out, we'll go pay somebody else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, do what we need to do. So, first of all, I had to realize that like I am actually not just shortchanging myself, I'm shortchanging them, right? I'm messing up them if I don't attach some sort of value to the things that I'm doing. And so that was one of the first things that helped me overcome it, right? The second thing is I started to realize that I am I am unable to do a certain amount of work all by myself. Mm -hmm. mm. And if I don't get to a place where I start charging, A, I'm going to burn myself out. And on the other end, I'll never have room to bring somebody else in and be fair to them. And so I started to realize I got to actually charge so that if I need help with anything, whether it's the editing, whether it's the post production, you know, shooting the filming, whatever the case may be, the writing, I have to charge so that I can be fair to other people that I might need to ask. Right. If I want to somehow, you know, foolishly say I'll work for free. What right do I think I have to say that on behalf of the people that I'm going to need to help me or, or yeah. whatever else I'm going to need to purchase to get it done? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Nima, so you said, go ahead. You said something really important there that I, that I hope people who are watching this and listening to this get. 
Our guest is Dr. Nehemiah Mayberry from STEM Media. Mm -hmm. And you just said, if I don't charge, how am I going to be able to pay the people that right. I want to bring on to work for me? People who, who's, who, have, who have skills, who have abilities that now can become part of my team. And I think we miss that part of it. We keep thinking, well, it's about me. It's about me. No, mm -hmm. it's not just about you. If you're building any sort of business, it's 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 gonna have to turn into a team, other yeah. people involved. And if you're gonna be fair to them, part of the way this works is you got to be able to pay them. And where does that money come from? You, it right. can't come from your own pocket, right? It can't. Right. Yeah. Right. And I'm glad you called that out too, because I probably should have crystallized that early on. Because one of the things we we feel is that if we ask people for a certain amount of money, or if we actually charge them. Growing up in the church, as I have, a lot of times cultivating our gifts in the church, sometimes mm -hmm. we feel this undue sense of obligation to give it away for free, which is so erroneous, right? But if you think about it, you really are being more selfish if you continue to give away for free. Because now people in the future who mm -hmm. need to be blessed by your ministry has left less of a chance to do so because you haven't created any way to sustain that ministry wow. to still be in existence to bless them in the future. You know what I'm saying? Yo, that's a mic drop moment right there. Listen, somebody is wrestling. I mean, I'm Nehemiah, I cannot tell you. Um, yeah. doing this podcast, going on the road, talking to people, pricing is one of the biggest hangups people have. Mm -hmm. And you just said it, you actually killing the ministry if you don't charge yeah. you're killing that thing it's not going to survive if there's no steady stream of income steady stream of income or if you if you if you having a loss if you're doing mm -hmm. it all at a loss all the time you know what i mean like like if, if you don't want that to be the rule okay if god somehow one day tells you and really impresses your heart to do something or whatever that's different we need something like that. but if your model is causing you to be in the negative every time you perform your service come on man you're not honoring god by that you are actually Stop and I and I say this to somebody who's on my team now. So I, you know, the Lord blessed us to be able to have a team, and there's a um a, a producer who's on my team now, works for me full time. I often say to her, like, there is somebody in the future that needs to work here. I, we don't know who it is, right? Yeah. And, but we need to be able to exist in the future so that that person who's called to work here can also have a job here. And so that requires us to do everything that we currently do at a profit. Mm. So that we don't go bankrupt before that person in the future who's been ordained to come and cross paths with us has that opportunity. You know what I mean? And, I and that's really some of the things that has helped me. And I, and I know this. there are other mindsets. You have several guests. Shout out to the people that have been on the podcast um, who helped talk through this. But for me, it, what helped me to kind of get over some of that trepidation was realizing that um, I am actually being a bad steward. I'm being a bad steward. If I'm just thinking, oh, don't worry about it. I just do this for free or whatever. No, man. Like God didn't give this to me for it just to last until I, I get tired yeah. or until my other stream of income run out. He wants to last beyond that. This thing is supposed to That's be right. a tree planted by the river that bears fruit for other people in the future. And so I got to make sure these roots are deep. I love it, man. I love it, though. Listen, if the, I'm going to clip this and we're going to put this somewhere because <laughs> somebody's needing to hear this. With yeah. their hangups about pricing, because we all have a lot of bad theology and misquoting, and you know, just good intention things that probably didn't are not serving us anymore. So I'm I'm glad yeah. you're sh sharing that. So yeah. STEM media, let's talk about that. Like, 
yeah. I'm, I'm gonna tell you why I'm asking you this. I had a workshop this weekend. I'm presenting this workshop, and I asked, "Who is your business for?" And someone yeah. with just great intention says, "Everyone." And I'm like, "No, that's not the right answer." Like, I don't know what your right answer is, but I know that's the wrong answer. So right. tell us who is Step Media for, and how did you go about the process of figuring out who this is for, and and who are we serving, and who are we targeting with this? For sure, for sure. So I answered the first question. So STEM Media helps um, educational institutions and companies elevate and empower young professionals in STEM, predominantly Black and Hispanic, those who are underrepresented and able to develop personally, professionally, and technically in their career. That's what STEM Media does. All right, that's our audience. I love that pitch. I love that that you do. You been you practice that. You didn't just make that up. Make that up on the spot when I asked you that. That's something. Yeah. That's, yeah. You, you got that. Wake you up three o'clock in the morning. You got that. <laughs> Appreciate it, man. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but developing it or, or getting clarity on that is a process. I'll be honest with you, because it's the other thing people struggle with. Sometimes people think if they're specific, then they're like limiting themselves. But it really the inverse is true. The broader you are, the less people know where to place you or even know what to go to you for. And so um, that being said, over time, I began to realize that we had a special, you know, my, the creative ideas I had and the things that we were most effective in all sort of resonated with young professionals. And by young professionals, I mean people who are late high school to within their first five years of their career. So people who are still in the process of saying, hey, STEM is for me. I'm not sure what area of STEM is for me, but this is for me and I'm trying to figure it out. And then again, being more specific of, of who we serve being those who are underrepresented. So the sensibilities, the cultural relevancy that I have as an African-American male, um, individuals on my team who also have you know, Latinx background and things of that nature. So that being said, there is a unique um, potency that our content and our programming has with this group. Now, does that mean that we never serve the people outside the group? No, what actually happens is when people know who to come to you for and you do so well there, it naturally opens up other doors to expand and broaden, but that's the tip of our spear, right? And that comes from just, you know, over time refining the messaging, but also taking note of what works the best and yeah. what doesn't work as well. That's good. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I think um, as I hear you talk about that, you know, I think most of us may not know right in the beginning, who is this right. for, who's my target, but right. we have to be willing to, become more and more niche down, more and more targeted, just kind of just seeing, okay, this is resonating with this. This is, this right. is where I come alive the most when I'm serving and, who, yes. you know, just vibes of what I'm bringing here. So I think that's a, you know, not to put too much pressure on people in the beginning, man, you may not know, but yeah, you know, move towards the direction of greater, greater specificity. And to that example, like I knew that STEM, like I told my story, science, technology, engineering, math was my area but like you can serve kids, right? Mm -hmm. You can serve like adult, like it was really all people. So I, even now I still get requests to come and talk to second graders and things like that. And I may do it occasionally, but that's yeah. still not the target audience. You see what I'm saying? Like, I'm not going to resonate as well as we do with our young professionals. And so that's a good example of how you may have yeah. an idea, but you still yeah. may not be as defined yet. Yeah. So, so Nima, I want to ask you, I want to go down two rows. Let me start with this one. You said we have a team members now. Yeah. You know, a lot of us, we're solopreneurs. We out here, we, we're cooking the food, we're, we're, <laughs> we're putting it together, we're serving it, we're, we're doing it all, right? We're doing it yeah. all. We're one-man band, one-woman band. Talk to us about leveling up 
and in that, that process of bringing on team members, how was that for you in building what you're building now? Yeah. So, um, one detail I hadn't shared yet was that about three years ago, I resigned from my full-time engineering job and went full-time into, to STEM media. Right. So Say that I, part again. You said you, what I resigned you? from my engineering, my full-time engineering job, and then and went full-time into STEM right media. There. Like your full-time engin engineers, uh, y'all do pretty well, right? You, you, <laughs> yeah, you yeah, yeah. From your full time job, keep going. Sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely, yeah. The, the one of the figures fell off the first time I <laughs> made the difference. But I'll say this: I say this. Um, I had to realize that in order to scale up, you want to get to a place to where there are people who are able to do things um, better than you in certain areas, because. At the end of the day, and it feels so cliche, and I and I hope people hear it. Maybe they need to hear it from multiple people. But like, if you're doing everything, the quality of product is only going to get but so far. Like, it, it's just period. Like, it may be good enough for you to make a decent amount of money, but like, from in my case, I use my case as an example. There's somebody who knows how to edit better than me. Like at the end of the day, I was editing my videos, but somebody knows how to edit videos better than me. There's somebody who knows how to find the right angle with the with the with the um with the camera better than me right there are people who know how to color correct better than me there are some musicians who are better than me and so it really was a process of saying all right here's the philosophical side is how can i get to a place to where i find somebody good enough for me to fire myself from that job mm -hmm. right fire myself from that job so that they can do it with their full intention or attention and now i have more intention to focus on the things that i can do better right in the group that's the philosophical part but then on the, we're talking about monetization part, the money part, right? How can I now start going back to what we said earlier, pricing the services in a way to where there's enough margin to now pay for somebody else to come on board or to at least get close to it, right? May, may, I may not instantly break a profit, but get close to it. And then when people see a higher quality of product, now it starts to justify those higher prices and now I'm able to ask for more and open up more rings. So it's sort of like an incremental process. I know I need to do it philosophically because I'm just running out of bandwidth on my end. But then, all right, now I need to get our, our prices to a point or at least our clientele to a point where they can pay where it's more than just my hourly rate, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. So Nehemiah, you, man, you almost said something that was like a huge thing. Like, <laughs> by the way, I left my, I resigned my job, right? <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah. Man, talk about that, that the, the faith step in like was it did you were you building a bridge all along? Like, kind of talk to us about that part of the, the, the journey. Yeah, that was big. That was big. Come on, I'm gonna be honest with you. And you know, a lot of people know, and um, I knew I wanted to. Like, honestly, when I was still in school before I got married, I remember even telling my wife, like, hey, entrepreneurship is it's down the road, it's it's coming. Like, I know I got this engineering degree and everything, but just Give you a heads up at some point, like entrepreneurship is going to take a turn. So first of all, I think there was a very important step and practical step for me being a person who was getting married and eventually married to make sure that my, my partner, my spouse was on board, first of all, right? Like this wasn't just an independent mm -hmm. decision and then saying, hey, surprise, I quit my job today <laughs> and we're finna, we finna just work it out, right? So I actually had her on board and, you know, at least, at least in spirit, years before it happened a couple of years before it you know years before it even took place but now on the on the financial side honestly it was you do want to make sure you know how much it takes to live 
And then you want to make sure you understand where the basics are going to come from. Your, your standard of living rarely, I don't know too many people whose standard of living, you know, stayed exactly the same the moment they quit their full-time gig and went to entrepreneurship. So it, so we had to brace ourselves a little bit for the dip, right? We had to make sure, all right, we're, we're going to live here. This is how our rent going to be covered. This is that, whatever the case may be. So we had to brace ourselves and just being prepared for that ahead of time was good. And then I would say the other thing is that you want to at least know where your business is coming from. I mentioned clientele. Mm -hmm and stuff mm -hmm. like that right and mm -hmm. a very real question is man i know you got i know you got courses and content all that's coming out in the future one day man so we could we don't have to put it all in this but sometimes you have to pivot not necessarily your business model well maybe your business model but also like the market that you're pursuing mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. what i mean yeah um so case in point if if my clientele was always going to be after school programs well, how many after school programs have budgets the size enough to really like get a retainer with a production company or to bring in programming at five figures, you know, four figures a pop, right? Like how, how many are really going to have that? Yeah. As much as you want to help them, that may not be a sustainable market for you to build your full time scalable business on. Do you automatically kick that market to the side? Maybe not, but you do need to start thinking where can i get sustainable budgets or can i pursue clientels that have budgets that allow me to charge the amount that i need that would then allow me to scale and also pay people including myself and so for me i had to start looking at okay a university has a bigger budget for these type of things than an after school program you know what i'm saying yeah, uh, yeah. a corporation may have a little bit more of a, a ceiling or allow a little bit more margin than a nonprofit organization and so I had to start trying to kind of changing um, what I pursued or filled my pipeline with. That's good. You know what That's I mean? In order to That's be good. able to sustain the growth that was necessary to do this full time. Man, Nehemiah, that's that's some that's good, man. Because a lot of us, where where you start doesn't mean you have to stay there in terms of who your clientele is. Now, right? You said it. You still you'll still take a um, an appointment to go speak at a second grade class or whatever right. it doesn't mean you cannot give back but right. in the monetization part of it you do have to be wise on who you're charging that do they have the capacity to be able to pay what i need to charge to take care of what this business is all about yes that's a fact that's yeah. a fact man and um that's a very practical thing and that's why i mentioned i know this platform is going to be blessing so many people through that because these are the sort of the practical things that sometimes the heart may be in the right place and you're in the right space in terms of what you call to do, but there could be a little bit of a little bit of misalignment as it relates mm -hmm. to your business model, you know, and your strategy that's yeah. making it more difficult for you. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you this, this question then, because your model, you are working with organizations, not just, mm -hmm individual which which is different right like yes i create something i go to a person they buy it but yes. you're now having to go through a lot of levels of decision makers what are some lessons and tips you would say to someone who is doing b2b business like you are doing yeah. having to go to organizations like talk right. to us about maybe some of the challenges and then some of the, the the tips on how to do that well yeah no great question man so b2b business to business different yeah, from sorry, business yeah. to consumer right um consumer can say oh i want it pull out their credit card swipe it right, right. now that cash hits your account 
B2B, at least from my experience, is longer sales cycles, right? So I may get introduced to you in January. More than likely, if I make a sale, it's not going, I'm not going to make a sale in a week and the money's not going to be in my account like the next week. Sometimes there's a process of A, oh man, and this could be a whole masterclass, come on. But first of all, you need to even discover if the person you're talking to even has the authority to make that purchase. Right. right. They might not even have the thorough authority. And like most companies have people for you to meet with before you even get to the person that has the authority. Right. And so you're sort of like selling the person that you first talk to sometimes for an opportunity to talk to the next person who actually has the opportunity to say yes or no. You know what I mean? And right. so you want to prepare yourself for not like being unrealistic, like, oh, I'm about to get on this Zoom call with this person from XYZ company, and they're going to say yes, and they're going to wire me the money, right? No, that's not necessarily going to be the case. So you got to know that, all right, all right, after you have that meeting, the goal is to maybe get on the phone with whoever the next person is or get a call with the next person with that press first person now being your champion on your side. Like, you want to be able to get them so-so that in the next meeting, they're like, yeah, like he was telling me, tell yeah, you know, they're almost like a part of your sales team right now. So you want to kind of realize that that's really the goal. Um, I think the second thing is you do want to identify as much as possible. It's not easy, but it takes studying your market. What are the actual line items um, that are exist in the budget of the business that you're trying to sell to? And where does your product or service fall within their budget because nine times out of ten they have to submit a budget as an organization at the beginning of the year and they have this much for programming this much for curriculum this much for marketing or whatever case may be and so if i get on there and i'm not like speaking toward any of those things and they have no idea where my product or service falls i'm gonna have a harder time as opposed to getting on there and saying hey this is a marketing opportunity Da, 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 da. here's something mm-hmm. for your curriculum and your programming here is for your workshop you know i gotta almost like speak the language that already exists That's in the budgets and that comes from That's being right. familiar with the market yeah yeah speak the language keep going keep going into anything else you got for us oh yeah <laughs> all right cool yeah no for sure so yeah you brace yourself for a longer sales cycle make sure you understand the budget that exists and then on top of that you do got to understand that there is sort of a there's a value in the, the larger the organizations the more conservative they are like they're, they're less they're more risk averse so to speak and so part of your pitch is almost trying to remove any of the hesitancy they may have or the risk they may see so what do i mean by that well if you are able to show them that you've worked with other comparable organizations in a successful manner that sort of removes some of the trepidation of saying all right well we're not we're not the first one to try out you know you all services i see discovery has your i see pbs has hired y'all to do multiple things you're like i see you've worked with these people so it's not always just um some people think it's like being boastful and being proud look at me i work for pbs wired magazine no 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 i'm actually helping to tear down some of the barriers that will you know hinder the next client from saying yes so i'm removing some of that risk the other thing is you know you may want to look at ways okay how can we do sort of a a trial or or maybe do some sort of like um initial period that allows you to sort of get an experience first and up front to see that it's worth your time and it brings value and then come back with sort of your larger acts they, some people call it like a um man i can't even call it almost like a trip sale your first sale like a lower tier kind wire. of sale. tripwire right like some sort of way that you can like get them to purchase something that's yeah. not as 
your biggest package, but it allows them to at least gain a little confidence to work with them. You get in their vendor system, right? A lot of companies yeah. have vendor systems. So now they know, okay, we already straight on the direct deposit and everything. We pay for this yeah. $1,000 product. Now you can come back and say, here's the larger offer that I really want to sell all along, right? Yeah. So you want to kind of like remove, like I said, that's that's my third thing. Try to make your your the investment in your product or your service to what you're trying to sell as risk minimize the risk as much as possible from their perspective mm -hmm. so that they're more likely to um to give you a shot man this is so good Nimar, man we could do a whole episode on this because yeah a lot of people we're they're working we need to be working with business to business mm -hmm. and we don't know how to get in the door we don't know when we get in the door what to do like here's a simple question do yeah. you when they ask you for a proposal? Do you just put your numbers right there on the proposal? What's what's your practice? What's your what do you what do you have you recognized? Oh man, so I've made a lot of mistakes in this regard, but I'll say you probably shouldn't even send a proposal until you even know what they want for real. Mm. Like one here's one of my things. I actually when I have a call or if say they want a proposal, I'll try to ask so much so many questions to the point that they practically write the proposal for me. In their answers to my questions okay are you typically trying to do something for you know your new your new hires the people who are just there all right what are they what are they typically struggling with okay so that typically allows you if they are able to conquer this that will enable your organization to do what oh okay this right here all right i understand right so you started to get a lot of like the value proposition directly from the words that they give you and you want to yeah. put that in your proposal you know what i mean yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and then yeah. when it comes to the numbers man one of the things I think I, I recommend is ask them, do they have a budget? Mm. Just say, do you do you have a budget for for workshops? And, if and they say not no, every time they say yeah, yeah. right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I okay, they say yeah. All right, is this something you all do quarterly? And you know, it's just something that you all do every month. Uh, what do you typically allocate for for your workshop presenters? Mm. Right, I got you. Yeah. and so then they a lot not every time but sometimes they'll, they'll say oh yeah we normally you know do 1500 2000 for our workshop presenters and we try to do one once a month or whatever so now i i got all of the value proposition yeah. i got I man listen i don't know where this is gonna go but i don't know this, this is not gonna undercut me but anyway i got the pricing right so now yeah. my proposal is gonna simply say the value proposition i just got from there from their um answers to my question and i'm literally gonna charge exactly what they said but here's the other thing, come on, and man, we really could do it. You want to charge what they said, have an option for what they said, but you also want to have an option higher, like nice. that, like the ideal higher option for them, right? <laughs> so that they know that, all right, here, he has something that we can afford that we're typically doing, but then they also know, oh, there's more where that came from. There's even better mm -hmm. value, right? And so that being said, they're more than likely not going to go for the higher option the first time because, again, they're kind of risk averse. But now you've already set yourself up for a higher price point sale down the road if you go in and knock that out of the park you know what i'm saying listen man y'all y'all need to send this man an offering some of y'all going to need to go try <laughs> this right but i think there's just so many good points in this here that knowing how to ask the right questions that's yeah. the, that's the key listen if you're doing b2b know how to ask the right if you if you're yeah. doing b2c yeah one of the things that i believe is you bring the genius right you bring what i call the oil the ministry yeah. but your customer shape the product that you offer yes. and they shape it because you ask them the questions and they tell you, Hey, this is how you shape this thing. And then when you bring it to them, 
They go, that's exactly what we were looking for. Yeah, yeah. you told us. Exactly. So know how to ask the right questions. That's it. That's it, man. You ask the right questions. And I think one of the mistakes I used to make and a lot of people do make is think that the moment they get on the call, they got to do all the talking. Da, 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 da. We do this, da, 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 da. you know, hey, just listen. And just hoping that at some point they're going to say, oh, man, that's amazing. But that's actually a mistake. You actually want to get them to talk a lot because they basically telling you exactly what you need to propose. Right. Um, obviously, within your area of expertise, within your area of offering. But if you're doing all the talking, you probably aren't making any headway. You yeah. probably aren't if you're doing all the talking. That's good. That's good, man. All right. Listen, Nehemiah, I want you to, to do a few things before you get off. Yep. Um, talk to some young person or parent of a young person who might be thinking about STEM as a career. Just give them some words of advice. And then I have a couple more. So just talk to them. You know, yeah. You use this opportunity to talk to them. Yeah. This, the world of science, technology, engineering, math is or STEM is a toolbox that is incredibly useful in solving any problem you can think of there isn't a single innovation whether it be vr whether it be again infrastructure which i've worked in education automotive industry any industry you can think of that has advanced that you're really enthralled by that you enjoy i guarantee you has used some of the tools that exist in science technology engineering and math and so what i'm saying if you are interested in creating the next big thing not just going to the store and buying it but creating the next big thing then you should go into a field of STEM so that you can you can get some depth of knowledge in a certain um, area of expertise in a certain subject matter that you can then, as a as a person who has this expertise, as an expert, can add on business skills or connect with other people and really do some phenomenal things, both technically and even monetarily for your career and your life and your family's life. And so that's what I want to say to the young person who's considering STEM. I guarantee you it is not a wasted skill that you would develop if you if you I pursue anything in that area i love it and then finally kind of talk to us about um stem media what you do because yeah. you know someone at a company an organization might be watching this podcast by the way he's going to ask you those questions so answer the man's question but yeah. talk to them about what you do and how you can help them and just you know so that we can um help you to get some some connections as well off of this podcast yeah, so as you, as you said earlier in the introduction, STEM Media is an ad tech and digital media company that helps to develop, and we, we like to say it this way as well, um, diverse technical workforce, young professionals in STEM, right? Um, we have three components of things that we offer. We have STEM Media Studios, so a full-blown production company. We've been able to produce shows for um, PBS Digital Studios, have done some things with Smithsonian, Wired, uh, Magazine Discovery, and things of that nature. Um, so we produce a lot of the things that you see in a lot of the factual television, factual entertainment that you um, experience, we do that type of work. And so we can do it for your school or we can do it for your organization um, or we can do it for your network, right? I don't know whoever's watching this. Go, so man. that's, that's what STEM Media does. Yeah. That's thinking big. So that's STEM Media Studios. We have STEM Media Experiences. This is where workshops and lectures and public speaking come into play. I do um, keynote speeches um, for educators, entrepreneurs, leaders in the areas of STEM. Um, we have other events that we put on that fall under this as well. We have an annual summit that we've done um, for about four years, the STEM Success Summit. And so these, these workshops and these programming all falls under STEM Media Experience. So the studio's production, the experience is sort of the live programming. And we also have a platform called the STEM Media Network. And so what you can think of the STEM Media Network is a the master class of STEM that has a high 
uh, amount of color, right? A lot of extra sauce and swag on it, right? Oh, so we have oh. a platform right now where people are able to subscribe and have on-demand content to podcasts, online courses, um, videos on demand that all help elevate and empower your STEM success. And so that's what STEM media is. We like to come and start off with maybe a workshop. We incorporate some of our videos in the workshop that we do. You can see some of the things that we produce. Um, and then beyond that, we'd love to help you elevate your brand and your efforts as an organization. I love it. Hey, man, listen, um, the website is on here, stemmedia.com, S-T-E-M-E-D-I-A.com for those who are listening. And yep. uh, the, the, the to follow your business, STEM Media, S-T-E-M-E-D-I-A. And Nehemiah, mm -hmm. we want to uh, also give your Instagram. It's right here on the yeah. screen, Nehemiah Mabry, at Nehemiah Mabry. Listen, dude, you are always inspirational to me, man. Just kind of watching your journey from, I think I met you when you were finishing Oakwood or you still at Oakwood. Yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah. You, you had me do some skits, man. So you know about yeah. the, the improv and all that yeah. in the back in my background Dude, too so, yeah yeah man listen the message for someone today is that god has put you where he's put you he's allowed you to have experiences and those experiences nothing is wasted and you may not know now why i'm doing what i'm doing you may not know now what what what's the next step but i just want to encourage someone be faithful where you are do the best you can with where you, what you what you have to do and one day God is going to allow all of those things to come together into an amazing mix so that you can reach more people, increase your income, the impact, and increase your income. That's what I just want to encourage you to keep on doing. Thank you for listening to the Monetize Your Ministry podcast with Kamon Hines. For more information, visit our website at www.monetizeyourministrypodcast.com. That's www.monetizeyourministrypodcast.com Find us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Please, share this episode with someone who needs it. Let's increase our income and impact.